0: On October 25th, Jules Bass had passed away. He was one of the two parts of the studio Rankin Bass, most known for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman's TV specials, as well as one of the shows we reviewed earlier, the uh, Reluctant Dragon and Mr. Toad show. It is very sad to hear his passing. He was one of many pioneers in animation, especially in the ability to outsource animation. But he has created many things that have touched many people, and it's very sad to see his passing
1: this podcast episode is dedicated to his memory there are too many cartoons but they'll watch them all the penny and james to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast the nonsense! The, the nonsense, nonsense, nonsense! It's just so much nonsense, I tell you, Such nonsense!
0: Oh boy, did we pick a show.
1: <laughs> As you probably know by now, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kinda sorta hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And we're... Bringing on the nonsense. It's riddles, jokes, and silly things. It's Tomfoolery. And we never even met this Tomfoolery
0: guy. I mean, obviously. His his name's in the title. Where is Tom? Why is Tom not in the show?
1: So, a lot of what we talked about in our Reluctant Dragon and Mr. Toad podcast applies here regarding the origins of Rankin Bass. The producer-directors, who themselves... We're not artists who founded an animation company and sent the overwhelming majority of the work overseas, mainly to Japan, including the stop motion stuff. Which is
0: weird because for the longest time I thought that was at least American produced, but that is not the case.
1: Yeah, isn't there a stop motion animator approached them for work and they told him, uh, "Sorry, you're going to have to travel someplace else?" Yeah, they pretty much
0: said, "Sorry, we outsource all of our stuff to Japan."
1: A wide variety of studios were brought on as needed. But breaking the pattern, for the Tomfoolery show, they recruited British animation firm Hollis & Bachelor, who we previously mentioned for their work on King Features' Popeye shorts for television syndication at ABC.
0: Though so it's interesting in the fact that their work wasn't outsourced by King Features as much as outsourced by one of the directors that got outsourced by King Features, which is Gene Deitch.
1: Yeah, it's outsourceception it does, subcontracting does happen. Hollis and Batchelor actually has a pretty fascinating history that we're going to want to consider digging deeper into. Since they created the first full-length animation feature made in the United Kingdom, the film Handling Ships in 1945. Interesting. Yeah, and they also animated the novel and political satire Animal Farm and released that in 1954.
0: Interesting. That's I something do, I want to look at. I do definitely need to look more into their work. I did notice a cameo of a particular British character in one of the episodes of Tomfoolery, but I'll get to that when it happens.
1: Mm-hmm. The Tomfoolery show was an audacious concept for a Saturday morning cartoon. Sharing the airwaves in the 1970 fall season with the likes of Scooby-Doo, Josie and the Pussycats, all the traditional theatrical cartoons, and the Archies was this variety-format show based on the works of several literary luminaries. The principal source of material was Edward Lear, writer, poet, and illustrator, whose books like The Book of Nonsense contained such bon mots as the one I've selected to demonstrate what we're getting ourselves into. (coughs) There was a young lady of Clare who was sadly pursued by a bear. When she found she was tired, she abruptly expired, that unfortunate lady of Clare. Wow. Literature, guess, ladies and gentlemen It's not all stuffy Shakespeare and, and Faulkner
0: I guess when the bear was done, her skeleton was left bare huh.
1: And side note, if I say Norman Lear, it's an accident I do. This is not to be confused with the creator of All in the Family
0: Another notable author that they took work from was uh, Lewis Carroll Who's best known for Alice in
1: Wonderland Yep, and its sequel, Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There Similarly, we've got uh, work from Ogden Nash, the American poet noted for his use of unconventional rhyming schemes and puns that make anything in our previous episodes seem particularly sedate. And also, American artist and poet Frank Jellit Burgess. If there's
0: anything I can say about this show, it's certainly got some interesting character designs.
1: Yes, yes, all five of these characters uh, originated in Lear's work. His book, More Nonsense, Pictures, Rhymes, Botany, etc. These characters include the Yangi-Bongi-Bo, a uh, diminutive fellow with a head as big as his body, maybe bigger. The fastidious Fish, who walks on stilts. The scrubious Snake, a snake whose head is... uh, Buried in a straw barbershop quartet hat.
0: Actually, if we're supposed to take things from the intro, uh, I think the hat is his head.
1: Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) We also have the Enthusiastic Elephant, who is the most radically redesigned of the bunch, since he didn't have a mustache, bowler hat, or anything else. Just the earrings in the original Lear version. Although version is kind of loose. I mean, these characters are literally just an illustration and a quick three-line verse in the original text.
0: And the umbrageous, the umbrageous, umbrageous uh, umbrella maker, who's probably my favorite design.
1: I have to agree. And he also delivers the best punchline we have in this whole, sh- in the two episodes we review, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. There's not a lot of notes about the creation of this show, but... Based on what we know about who was alive at the time, the only author would, would have been Ogden Nash. He, he would still be around and kicking in 1970. One of the main things that tie these disparate and unusual works is their presence in the public domain. Does definitely help things out. <laughs> yeah. All of Lear, Carroll, and Burgess's works were published around a century ago at the time of the Tomfoolery Show's creation, which certainly had to make choosing them as much a matter of economics as it was any ambition of presenting vintage literature to kids of the 70s. After all, here's this assembly of whimsical rhymes and wild visuals ripe for reintroduction to the culture at large, with no royalties to be paid for their use. They just had to be adapted to the formats of the day to be sold to the networks, in this case NBC. So how did it turn out? An ambitious
0: mess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Due to the nature of this show and uh, how lost to the annals of time it is, we don't even have proper titles. So we're just going to call this first episode the first thing we see on the screen, Zebra's Welcome at All Times. Where
0: it's mentioned that a zebra is misspelled and we get a bird who's very annoyed by this.
1: Oh, picky, picky, picky! What a picky producer! There, there's one too many E's in Zebra, and the bird comes in with a pick, to remove the extraneous E. We're only on what I presume is the title of the episode, and the tone of this show is unlike anything I've seen from this era.
0: It's like a psychedelic version of laugh except not quite as good as Laugh-In.
1: No, laughing was already kind of psychedelic to begin with. We go straight into words of wisdom, as the Yangi Bangibo explains you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Clearly, this horse is a contrarian, as demonstrated by him drinking all the water in sight, up to and including the Atlantic Ocean.
0: Which, seemingly, was filled with nothing but beer bottles and a box of (laughs)
1: cornflakes. And in another shore, that same bird kvetches about the freaky, freaky, thirsty, freaky horses they get for this show! That bird is my least favorite character.
0: He is annoying.
1: <laughs> Smash cut to the outrageous umbrella maker walking on a tightrope and demonstrating that you can make a mothball by taking away its wool sweater. Get it? Mothball. Ball. Uh, It's moments like this I'm glad I don't live anywhere near the often-mentioned Sunset Slade.
0: Remind me to play this this show the next time I'm streaming and he's in the stream, because God, he's going to hate it.
1: (laughs) (sighs) The Umbrella Maker proceeds to fall off the rope, and he assures the audience not to worry because they use nets. And our neurotic bird arrives again to say he'd worry, 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 as he walks into the fourth wall. Blacking this scene out and leading to the enthusiastic elephant drawing a picture of a girl, leads to one of this episode's highlights for me. Girl talking about spots of grease. So, yeah, the song "Spots of Grease." This is a uh, an Edward Lear poem set to music, and it's just a charming crayon-drawn-looking piece with the sketched animation, all uh, m- scribbles moving as if being hand-drawn each time. I I just find something so charming about that art style.
0: It is very cute. its I'd probably say, yeah, that was one of my highlights, too, because it's just very charming. It's very endearing. It's very cute. And it just works so well with the song.
1: Yeah, and the song is very well sung. I wish we knew the name of the young lady to perform at the time, young lady who performed it, but all we really have is the name of the group. That would be the Murray Laws Singers. My dear papa once went to Greece, and there I understand. He saw no end of lovely spots about that lovely land. If anybody out there is a survivor of Murray Laws or any of his uh, uh, associated singers, let us know if you know the name of of the lady who sang this. I'm genuinely curious.
0: This, yeah, this is a very cute little part of the short. Gives me some like Sesame Street vibes.
1: And then we're crashed back into the world of puns, as we're told artichokes have to ha- need to have a heart. Yep,
0: because you know an artichoke heart.
1: <laughs> and now we come to to one of the things that defines one of our main characters: the Scrobyus Snake is incapable of telling a riddle correctly. So the enthusiastic elephant at tells him to try this on for size. What starts with an E and ends with an E and only has one letter in it? I do want
0: to mention I had one major problem with this particular short. The opening part of this, they didn't animate the elephant's mouth. Oh, no, they didn't. And they didn't always animate like the hat moving on the snake. So when I first saw this, I wasn't sure who was saying what at first. It actually had some brief confusion on it.
1: Yeah, that carries over to when we encountered the fastidious fish in this scene.
0: Yeah, that, that is like the whole... Yeah, the the lip-syncing is all messed up on this one.
1: Do you think we've given the, the audience enough time to figure out the riddle? An envelope? The, the scrupulous snake tries to tell it to the fastidious fish, who also introduces one of the reoccurring gags in the series, call me by my nickname, something else.
0: Which they instantly don't.
1: Yeah, in fact, they call it the wrong name altogether. But the Scroobius snake gets what starts with an E and ends with an E, and you put in a mailbox. Oh, I did it again!
0: Technically, he's not wrong. It's still an envelope, but...
1: Yeah, but it kind of gives it away. Yeah. Oh.
0: He also shoves a envelope into the fish's mouth when he does it.
1: Yeah, it, that definitely gives it away. And we crossfade to the Yongi Bongi Bo holding a picture of himself, holding a picture of himself, holding a picture of... You get the idea. Yeah. They could animate that forever, but, you yeah, know. The announcer puts a halt to it. So the Yongi Bongi Bo switches to a poem, The Wango Tree, which is indeed a legitimate poem, not from any of the four sources we mentioned in our introductionary preamble. I look the sucker up, the author is uncredited. Wow. But it's public oh. domain. So I guess it definitely means you don't have to pay anybody to use it. In fact, our neurotic bird is finally actually introduced as the Woggly Bird. And the animation is set to the poem itself. Then, if you're looking for the poem, Wango is spelled W-H-A-N-G-O. I'd read it here, but in case you haven't been able to tell, this is one of those instances where our description of the cartoon might take longer than the cartoon itself because it's so dense! E- but once that poem is completed, oh, here comes a long running pun.
0: <laughs> See, the elephant is now carrying a crate or a box of, I think it was like sodas, and the fiddiest Fish asks him what he's doing, and he said he's taking his case to court. He then appears with a ladder, saying he's taking it to a higher court. But then we get a crash. And what happened? The court dropped his case. That one's bad, but I I
1: won't lie. I did kind of smile on that one. Yeah. And apropos of nothing, Succotash is announced to have identity problems. And then we get a fanfare and... A commercial break? Yeah... Maybe, hey, hey. maybe not. Now the hey. Yongi Bongi Bo implores the enthusiastic elephant to see his garden. And the elephant notices a bush whose leaves are chirping birds. He asked, How did you get that? And well, the Yongi
0: Bongi Bo replies by saying that he planted bird seed. Ha. Huh.
1: Ha. Uh. Ha. Uh. Three cheers for rubber bands! <laughs> if that sounds out of context, Imagine how we felt when that was the very next thing to appear.
0: Yeah, a lot. Of, there's a lot of these lines. that are just what. <laughs>
1: <sighs> Our next scene involves the fastidious fish, bemoaning being broke and hungry, and he asks the enthusiastic elephant for a buck fifty for coffee. When the elephant's amazed at the price, the fish explains he's a big tipper. I got a question for you, Pem. Can you hmm. still get a cup of Joe for of any quality for that at that price these days? Maybe a shot of espresso. Hmm. But just a shot.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So the elephant retreats, and the Yangi-Bongi-Bo arrives. And the fish asks him for some food, since he hasn't had a bite in three days.
0: If you don't know where this joke is going, well...
1: Even Stevie Wonder can see where that line goes.
0: Oof. Or to quote Sonic, Big Oof.
1: (laughs) The fish leaps into the fourth wall in pain... And we transitioned to a tic tac toe board, telling tortured jokes about hiccups and bakeries,
0: which ends with the exact same joke.
1: Yeah, the X also hasn't had a bite in three days.
0: I, I I can enjoy a running gag, but I mean you normally need a better joke than that for it. I do, however, weirdly like the X and O tic tac toe board since they do a reoccurring
1: jokes, and, the, and it's a cute design. Nice, simple, easy to understand. Yep. Smash cut now to the ongi Bongi bow and the umbrageous umbrella maker sitting on a wall, possibly the same wall Charlie Brown and friends hang around at. And the bow is holding a red balloon. He asks the difference between a red balloon and a Matta baby to the umbrella maker.
0: The umbrella maker says he doesn't. He asks what a Matta
1: baby is. I don't know. What's the matter with you? Oh, these are starting to grate on even me! And I love yeah. puns!
0: I, I just want to mention that... Oh, yeah, and then... What was the joke that uh, the Umbrella Maker followed with that?
1: Well, he says that the young Bongy bo has Snoo all over him.
0: Bo asks, what's Snoo? And, well...
1: This one's old. Not much! What's Snoo with you? <laughs> uh-huh. And I have to agree with the Woggly Bird. All these puns, puns, puns! Oh, I can't stand all these puns! Oh, it it makes me famished! I haven't had a bite in three days!
0: Yeah, and Q being bit.
1: At this point, I was begging for this to be a bad version of the rule of three I'm always stick-yammering about, so I don't have to write that again!
0: I do need to cut out that pun part just to send up the sunset at some point the bird just complaining about puns i think he'd feel <laughs> relatable <laughs> i also want to say that this is a point where i realized that the episode was like just now almost halfway over and i was just like this feels like it's been on for already half- 30 minutes
1: <laughs> uh, i'll tell you one thing this has got to give you a ton of material for your weird cartoon nonsense twitter no kidding The set of disembodied chompers that bit the bird asks the audience to take his teacher. Please!
0: (laughs) Another oldest joke in the frickin' book.
1: Yeah. Yeah, even Fozzie Bear wouldn't tell that one. Waka waka! And now another out-of-context line. Rose's smell! They definitely do. And this is our intro to a ditty about a man with a beard another man who's only walked on his heels, and a third man with a large nose on a barge. All set to a tune about good old nonsense. And these are all Edward Lear limericks. He wrote a lot of limericks. Hey, at least he was productive. Next, the umbrageous umbrella maker recites Old Mother Hubbard. But the cupboard isn't bare. It has a bear! Which... The Umbrella Maker
0: points out that they've misspelled bear, and then promptly fires said bear.
1: Back to Goldilocks. All right, then. And then the Chompers ask us to take a Scoutmaster. Please. Okay. Up next is a reoccurring segment on the show, The Cooking Lesson. The Yangi Bongi Bo is to instruct us on Elephant catchatory, and the Enthusiastic Elephant is not amused. I can't say I blame him. Turns out the hard part isn't catching the elephant, but a Tori. And we get a nonsense-laden description of where you go to do so, including accidentally catching a bus. That's some bus design, that's all I have to say. And folks, the audio clip for this would be too long, otherwise this would have been number one with a bullet on my list of audio to include. And me simply reciting it wouldn't be nearly as amusing. It might
0: be worth mentioning that you can actually find these episodes on the Internet Archive, and I would recommend doing it for the insanity alone.
1: Have the beverage of choice while you watch.
0: wonder if having
1: beverage of choice would have
0: made this easier to get through. <laughs> I do like that one of the ingredients is stupid tomatoes. I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it does.
1: So it turns out, as part of the recipe the enthusiastic elephant wound up in there, canned, but at the end eats the whole thing and then he decides to share his recipe Yangi Bongi Baloney
0: which causes the bow to be thrown into the fourth wall
1: yeah, and through a television tube Tomfoolery is unfair to picture tubes
0: I do have to give them credit for how many times they've animated someone being thrown through the the fourth wall, that they do a reasonably good job of that. Which Mm -hmm. is not always the easiest thing to animate. And boy, does it look bad when someone doesn't do it right.
1: It's tic-tac-toe time again. O has lost his pet rabbit, and X suggests making a noise like a carrot. And he turns into one, summoning a massive hare.
0: Must have been a... Oh, shoot, what's it called? Um, A lepus. There's a particular type of giant rabbit i can't remember the name of it
1: are they the ones that were used on teletubbies let's see i'm gonna just look that up really quick if my computer will let me look it up really quickly while you're looking that up we now transition to a spooky creepy play hey we're past halloween now we don't have time for that well we'll make time after all, we got a kill time while Pemmy looks up this rabbit breed. Flemish Giant. Flemish Giant, okay. Anyhow, our play involves the cast of the show plotting to attack the Grimble Grumble, relaying whispered messages back and forth as they sit on the log. Apparently, the danger is great, but the Grimble Grumble is a 100 miles away, so the Scrubius Snake shouts, Why are we all whispering? And to which the fish mentions that he has got a sore throat. <laughs> Oh, that's so sloppy. It's just sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. This title card's sloppy, too. It's upside down. It's sloppy, I tell ya. So the, the Woggly Bird kicks the, it upright just in time for the brainy lecture. Oh, boy. The subject of this lecture is supposed to be how to handle dynamite by the fastidious fish. Boom. It's definitely a way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the fish insists you call him by his latest nickname, Butterfingers. Ha. Just call me Mr. Butterfingers. Meanwhile, back at the wrench not ranch, wrench, as stated by a wrench, which crashes down before we're introduced to Ways and Means, which is a Lewis Carroll poem, which was recited by the White Knight in Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There. And, again, public domain, easily searched. And worth a read. This is a weird interpretation of it. It's a very literalistic interpretation of it. Yep. And chunks of it remind me very, very much of Terry Gilliam's cutout animation from the various Monty Python productions. In fact, this is kind of what led to my epiphany of what the show reminds me of. Monty Python, if written by Dr. Seuss. That makes sense.
0: Of course, this ends with the man asking the old man how he lived, turning into said old man.
1: Once the poem is done, the elephant tries to give the snake another rhyme, but the snake bungles it, and the yongi bongi implores him to be quiet for the closing bit, which is a series of dramatic natural events, and then the chomper is desperately imploring that we take tomfoolery. What would we do with it?
0: I don't even think the people who... Made this know what to do with it.
1: Next week, a musical version of 7 times 9 equals 63. But seriously, folks. The end. Wow. When I watched this the night before we recorded it, I had to relate to Pem that I had no idea what I just watched.
0: I'm still not sure.
1: We'll be right back, folks. We we have to uh, catch our senses before we get into the next episode, which is somehow even crazier than this. After these messages, we'll be right back. On the next Pemi and James podcast, it's the animated debut of Marvel's friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. We've all seen the mangs. That theme song has followed Webhead around for years. What's there beyond that? Would you believe a working motorboat made of webs? All this, and my favorite Marvel villain, in two weeks. You know, if I knew Dracula was in this cartoon, I would have saved this for the Halloween season.
0: Yeah, it's surprising how this has had multiple, like, spooky-esque things in it.
1: Yeah, this one doesn't even start with a... One of those uh, iconic name cards and the announcer reading it in his booming voice. We just open cold with Dracula asking his son to demonstrate turning into a bat, which his son does, technically.
0: is in a baseball bat. Yeah. Which is unfortunately the best joke you're going to get from this reoccurring segment.
1: There is one that I think is tied for second, but we'll get there. Oh, but these vampires are so dumb. I can't stand dumb vampires. They're just dumb, dumb, dumb. <sighs> that bird. Smash cut to the f- the segment to coin a phrase. And the phrase is Iggle umfa Dumfink. This is never explained. This is never given any context. It's just there Iggle Umpha Dumfink.
0: Well, if you're going to coin a phrase, you got to make sure it's one that hasn't been used, I guess. <laughs>
1: I can think of a few people I'd like to call an iggle umpha dumpfink <laughs> see i th- I thought this involved the fastidious fish serving the enthusiastic elephant oyster stew and then the live oyster popping up and winking, but apparently not nope. because iggle umpha never comes up, but boy, we see more of this oyster stew.
0: boy this gag runs oh. a little off.
1: Yeah, and yet somehow this episode really does seem more manic than the previous one. If you can
0: imagine that,
1: it is once again tic tac toe time. Oh, describes himself as having a mechanical mind, and X says it's too bad some of his screws are loose. We then get
0: back to Dracula and his son, who this time turns into uh, a hat, of course, because now when the first one was another meaning of bat this one now it just
1: thinks that rhyme with bat Mm -hmm. in the meantime pencil sharpeners sharpeners are out all right then and now the fastidious fist tries a second bowl of stew for the elephant and the oyster again winks at him he's really
0: upset about this
1: and now for some music the new vestments named after another one of norman lear's poems again public domain easy to find it turns out, when I read the poem, they had to cut a few portions to keep this from dragging in the cartoon. And admittedly, I can understand why they cut out something from towards the end, because the verse that was cut involves a coat of dead mice. Yipes. Yeah, I, I think we were spared in that instance.
0: I don't think the 70s censors would have been cool with that.
1: Send popcorn a cart for Father's Day.
0: At least that one makes sense. Yeah. I also want to say that one of the creatures that came out during the previous segment
1: mm-hmm. um, looked like a bootleg crazy cat. So. Oh, and speaking of cats, now Drack Jr. becomes a cat.
0: <sighs> is he Drack Jr. or is he Alucard?
1: Uh, we'll just go with Drack Jr. I don't want to stymie the name of Alucard with this.
0: Yeah, drag can deal
1: with that. But as it turns out, pencils, pencils are back, back in and erasers are out. Can we erase the segment? Well, speaking of draw of pencils, the umbrageous umbrella maker draws a door and enters it. And when the yongi bongi bow tries the same, he just gets buried in clutter. He must have mm. drawn that drawn that same closet Heckle and Jekyll drew a while back. Yeah, that or he drew my closet. And now the. The Continuing Story of Four Little Children Who Went Around the World, Chapter 2 If this seems random this is actually another Norman Lear work which is a whole little picture book about these four children who indeed go around a version of the world which makes Oh, I did it Edward Lear, not Norman Lear James, Edward Lear I didn't even notice. Oh. Well, we'll leave that in because it's funny. It's all in the family. Yeah. <laughs> I I
0: do find, I did kind of find the amusing factor on this one is the fact that the cast would make comments during it. Like they were, because they were like watching it on TV or in the movie theater.
1: Right. And then after every, every pun they make, the rest of the cast shushes the punner.
0: Which, a couple of these actually weren't too bad, I will say that.
1: Yeah, but uh, the whole story of the four little children who went around the world is more of Lear's trademark nonsense. I mean, what precisely is a Quangle Wangle? Why does it wear a slipper on its head when its foot hurts?
0: Why do these rats have so much frickin' custard?
1: I'd like some custard. Frozen custard, to be precise. Me too, there is an Andes close by. And and I tell you, next time you're in Rochester, I gotta get you to an Abbott's.
0: Alright, even though the name
1: Abbott has negative connotations here in Texas. Well, no time to think about Abbott's of any sort, because it's oyster stew time once more! And now the winking oyster is following the elephant to the Ongi-Bongi-Bo's restaurant! Now, I have to ask, at any point, was there supposed to be a punchline to this, or is this just a shaggy dog story?
0: I think it's a wet oyster story, So it's given me weird, cr- weird flashbacks of that, uh, of that um, Three Stooges skit they did, where uh, where it was like uh, oyster spitting from spitting at Curly while he was trying to eat, drink eat the soup.
1: Yeah, that was famously uh, brought into the Three Stooges video game.
0: Very annoyingly too, because <laughs> you constantly get to hear this bad recording of curly going
1: eh. and back from commercial we get the old you don't say phone gag
0: god that is the oldest freaking joke
1: and we've had a lot of old jokes here
0: i remember even like mcdonald's did that for one of their one of their freaking uh raw mcdonald commercials in either the 80s or 90s which may have been the first time i heard it
1: but following that zug ZUG!
0: ZUG. Yes, ZUG.
1: ZUG. Yeah, they all say ZUG, except the elephant who says guz. Guz. And then he I- gets pied for it. And here I was hoping this would be about the Blood Bowl star player. <laughs>
0: I-, I-, I wanted to come up with some pun to say, but I just I- I couldn't even think of one. I think
1: this show has used them all. Back to the tic-tac-toe board... Oh, has two things he won't eat for breakfast. What are they, Pemmy? Lunch and dinner. (laughs) I had to make that sound because the crickets have gone on strike.
0: I mean, can you blame them?
1: And Drac Jr.'s latest transformation is a welcome mat. Maybe this
0: is why DracChuckle is always annoyed with him on the Drac Pack.
1: Oh, if there's anything I can't stand more than dumb vampires. It's noisy vampires. They're just noisy, noisy, noisy. I tell you, noisy.
0: Oh, this reminds me that if we ever do Captain N, I'm going to have to show you what that show did to Alucard.
1: Oh, I've seen. I've seen. (laughs)
0: Uh, That was a
1: decision. So now the... uh enthusiastic elephant is at the umbrageous umbrella makers restaurant and the food was good but he's wondering why there was so little bread I like bread he also
0: didn't finish his food from the looks of it I mean that there's like three steaks on that freaking plate
1: and all kinds of fruits and veggies meanwhile the scrubious snake is still failing at riddles the fish gives him one about the longest piece of furniture in the world
0: which is a multiplication table
1: yeah, the snakes attempt at telling it. What table is so long, especially when it involves six times seven? Oh, I did it again. Oh. Also, apparently, using, using a, a bumblebee, bumblebee as a doorbell is a, doorbell is a real hum humdinger. <clears throat> I had to think about that for a second, because I would have said it's a buzzer.
0: Uh, no, that's only when you're like using it for a to- uh, using it for a game show.
1: Anyhow. Let's have some limericks. This is more of Lear's silliness, of course, and and it's set to music again.
0: We get to see a spire get cooked, live and eaten. May the censors allowed that?
1: Hmm. Of course, it's so quick, probably uh, flew right past them. Following that song, we get a joke about what can go up a chimney down, but can't go down a chimney up. An umbrella. Everybody knows that. Cue the umbrella maker wishing someone told him that. Dope. Oh. <laughs> I can forgive the pun for the delivery of that secondary punchline, because that was actually really good.
0: That was good. That is well-timed. I do also have to say, I like how they animate him talking. That's actually pretty clever. By, like, curving the uh, the part
1: of the umbrella under his eyes up and down. Very, very well, That is yeah. nice. The elephant still doesn't have enough bread, and we quick do a quick smash cut to, instead of a pigeon-toed person, a people-toed pigeon. Wow. And then more upset Dracula. Yep, this time, Drac Jr. does a flat tire. And then we get another people-typed person, a people-legged bow, instead of a bow-legged person. <sighs> Even the tic-tac-toe board is getting in on this. Because the X, instead of a cross eyed person, is a people eyed cross.
0: I think these jokes are making me cross. <sighs> we then get the umbrella maker and the elephant again, and despite half the screen being filled with bread, the elephant still says there is not enough bread.
1: The umbrella maker vows to make bread the size of a. Uh, he's never seen, which cues the cooking lesson. And the Yangi bongi bo explains how to make a loaf of bread as big as a railroad car. Again, I'd be here all day describing these instructions. Yeah,
0: there's a lot to describe here.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, as far as the result is concerned, the Enthusiastic Elephant considers this enormous concoction one piece of bread. I'm done. And then there's an explosion. Bang, bang, boom. Vert. No reason. I hate to
0: admit it, I actually chuckled just because it said explosion instead of bang or boom like it's been doing, like, previously. Hmm. Something about just saying... Using the actual, like, thing that's happening as the word for the sound effect. I don't know, that always sometimes gets a laugh out of me.
1: In other news, third base just stole a baseball player. At least that one kind of makes sense. More tic-tac-toe. The O says as a child he grew like an acorn, and X replies now he's a real nut. Uh-oh. Well, this show is pretty nutty. Yeah. And now the enthusiastic elephant is trying the groobiest snake's place for food, and the snake spills milk on the elephant because they ran out of chicken soup?
0: <sighs>
1: I don't get it.
0: It's the basic swap joke. It's it's like, why did you do this? Oh, because I ran out of this! (laughs) Ha
1: ha! Oh, oh, I get it. Now he's going to pour the chicken soup over the elephant, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay. And just like that, we're back to the tic-tac-toe board. As they relay, you should oil a mouse if you hear it squeak. Yeah. And this is followed by what I presume to be an Ogden Nash reversal of the old Jack Horner poem. Where the pie is a ventriloquist. Admittedly, kind of clever. Yeah. And now we get our brainy lecture. And this one's about ornithology. What's that about?
0: Birds. Birds. It's about birds. It's a beautiful word. Even better than bird.
1: Yes, thank you, Woggly Bird. The Ongi Bongi Bo actually gives us the lecture, as opposed to last time. And we get here about the Zilly Zilly Woolly Bird. I, I think couldn't quite identify the author of of this idea. It is quite a design, I will say that. The zilly zilly woolly bird flies in ever smaller circles in increasing speeds until its tail feathers glow with heat, and then it dies into the ocean and shouts its cry, which in English translates to, Boy, what a relief!
0: (laughs) Then we get horns.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. This introduces the tale of the Little Father, which is originally by Francis Gillet Burgess, which means I think we found all our main sources of material in these two episodes. Yep. Now, this book is not in the public domain that I could tell. It's available for sale on Amazon, though. The the cartoon does a pretty good job of of putting it all together. Yep. this, This shows what happens when your dad
0: has a drinking problem.
1: Yeah he shrinks to an eventually Lilliputian size. But it's a cute story, with some wonderful visual interpretations of Burgess's work.
0: And a, and a, and a sneak of cameo appearance of uh, Rupert the bear.
1: Oh. Back at the snake's restaurant, the enthusiastic elephant demands spinach for color in his cheeks, and the snake wonders who'd want green cheeks. But That's enough! No more! Sure enough, there's another restaurant joke. Of course there is. And the result? Explosions. Explosions. Earthquakes. Floods. Tidal waves. The entire planet breaks in half. Somewhere, Bill Murray wants to say dogs and cats living together.
0: Mass hysteria.
1: We spot Dracula complaining of gnats. And then he realizes what he just swatted.
0: His son had become a gnat.
1: Yeah. Mercifully, that's the last of those.
0: Hopefully, his son
1: is okay. Yeah. Next, Next week, East, East Lynn. Lynn. Next, Next week, Flugel Street. Uh, not even. We, we get one last joke from the Yongi Bongi Bo, and the announcer says, But seriously, Flox, folks. So, uh, I think this is going to be the last time I pick a cartoon for a sight unseen. <laughs>
0: Uh yeah, this was quite the experience. By the way, I sent you a screenshot with Rupert Bear in it. I see that. Random cameo. I was like, Rupert? <laughs> Who I, I honestly only know about because they used to have a cartoon for him, I think, on Nick Jr. or something. Okay. But it's enough that I was just like, Rupert? All right. But seemingly that's a character that's been around since the 1920s. So, Well, in
1: England, anyways. Right. But, well, you know, England is where this was animated, so, hey, it works.
0: Yeah, so, I guess they threw that in, despite the fact, you know, Americans wouldn't know about it. Personal joke for the animators.
1: Well, there's no two ways about it. This show flopped. Bad. Yeah. Come here hear. It was honestly neither fish nor fowl, fastidious or otherwise. It's... A mess. An ambitious mess, but a mess, nonetheless. The laugh and inspired format meant there was no real narrative structure, which was a criticism of of, uh, television critic David Perlmutter. But then again, most of these poems and limericks don't really have much narrative in the first place.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and even in the better parts of this, I just can't really... I don't know. It's like I couldn't see like a kid really being enthralled in a lot of these parts
1: making a, something a concept like this succeed is one of the tiniest needleheads to thread a string through there's just so much room for error and the error was in the framing device of these characters and their incredibly bad jokes
0: so many bad jokes So many bad jokes that even Bullwinkle would kind of (laughs) cringe.
1: And as much as I enjoyed the presentation of the little father and spots of grease and ways and means, you know, the bulk of the show just being so random, nothing gelled. No,
0: no. And, this is by far probably one of the most ADD productions I've ever seen. Since, like, I felt like I was I, I was lost in multiple times, and I do have ADD.
1: <laughs> Whatever the case, the Tomfoolery show lasted a single season on NBC. It didn't even get reruns like the Reluctant Dragon and Mr. Toad show.
0: With that said, since you can find the first four episodes i think they're the first four episodes you can at least find four episodes on the internet archive i'd still recommend at least watching one of these just to see it
1: <laughs> yeah
0: i wouldn't call this show good but man it's an experience
1: yeah i i would recommend the reluctant dragon and mr toad because of how charming and witty it is and i recommend the Tom Foolery show because there is literally nothing like this I have ever seen, for better and for worse. I've seen shows that have
0: tried similar formats, but not to the but not to this insane
1: level. As for where the rest of the episodes are, they're almost certainly sitting in a vault at some NBC Universal warehouse, right next to the Missing Reluctant Dragon and Mr. Toad show episodes.
0: Maybe someday they'll get released. But I Someday. don't see that happening so anytime soon.
1: No, I, I don't see a demand for it.
0: You know, it's hard to have a demand whenever no one knows about it. But then again, this goes into one of the things they say millions of times. Just put it on a freaking streaming service. I mean, you ain't going to lose anything from it.
1: You hear it Peacock?
0: Yeah. You ain't going to lose anything from it. So you're either going to gain something or gain nothing. Yeah, it seems like a no-lose situation at this point.
1: Yeah. Normally I'd say this is when we have to go restock the breakfast cereal, but, uh... Boom! Yeah, that too. <laughs> Good night, everybody. See ya. The Penny James sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.